This is Fundraising Radio, and today's a guest speaker. We have Nathan Becker, co-founder and CEO at Foundersuit, the software that helps founders raise money for their startups. In this episode, we'll talk about multiple topics. Uh, the first part is going to be the fundraising for Foundersuit itself. Then we'll discuss the major tactics, tactics on getting the round closed. And then we'll talk about some statistics that Nathan uh, basically observed while working at Foundersuit. And by the way, there's going to be a consequent episode, educational episode, where Nathan is going to talk about Foundersuit itself, how you should use it, who should use it, and best strategies of using it. So Nathan, uh, let's begin by you giving us some background on yourself and on Foundersuit. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, first off, so I... I'm 48 years young and my whole career since getting out of college at age, whatever, 22 has been nothing but raising capital. I'm kind of, I call it nice. one trick pony. I, I, if I ever get fired or, you know, founder suite fails or something, I, I have no other skills to bring to the world, but so my whole, Scary. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, I'm a specialist whether that's good or bad, but, um, you know, I have, I think, learned a few things along the way, which we're going to talk about today. But the short version goes like this. I went to work in investment banking a little bit out of college and was working in the dot-com bubble, which you probably don't even remember, but it was like crazy times of, you know, co tech companies going public really early. Um, and then I spent a little time at JP Morgan in New York, which was helping do private placements, which is basically helping companies raise B and C and mezzanine rounds, kind of later stage. And then, um, and then I came back out to uh, Bay Area and hung out a shingle called Venture Archetypes, which was basically doing, taking that same sort of work and helping companies raise money, but at a much earlier stage. So more like the seed series A stage, we get companies in the door, coach them, get their pitch ready, get their financial model ready, put together a target list of investors, and then kind of coach them as we go around to Sand Hill Road and talk to VCs. And then just to connect it to the present, we had this idea somewhere along the way when Mark Andreessen came out with his, you know, software is eating the world um, statement. And like, you know, that's true. Let's let's build some software for this process. There really wasn't, we're using spreadsheets to kind of manage a fundraising process, which is okay. But if you have 200 investor targets, it's hard to manage that all in a spreadsheet. So, you know, we we launched Founder Suite about um, five years ago now, and then raised our own seed round, put our put our tactics to work, uh, and then launched our CRM, our investor CRM, in 2016, and then we've just been steadily adding products to the suite ever since then. That's awesome. So let's first talk about how you raise money for a tool that helps people raise money. How did you approach that? <laughs> well, yeah, it was. It was interesting because, you know, I actually, um, I should back up a bit. I had actually, the original vision, I left something out. The original vision was Founder Suite was like a full set of tools for startups. Our, our vision was like, let's build all kinds of things. And kind of our very first MVP was like five different products. It was like an idea validation tool, an investor CRM tool, um, uh, uh, like a media PR tracking tool, um, a competitive, we had all these different tools in there. And I'm taking that around. I actually tried to raise money kind of twice for that. 
um, it wasn't really clicking. And a lot of people said, oh, you know, you're selling to startups. It's such a niche space. Um, and and so I kind of retrenched a little bit. And then the third try, you know, we saw traction happening with our investor CRM. So I kind of came back at it a third try and, uh, you know, really focused on the fundraising side of things, which still a lot of people thought was kind of a niche. You know, I got a lot of rejections because they said, oh, this is too, too niche for us. But, um, but yeah, I mean, finally got it done. It took actually a little longer than expected, about five months. And, uh, you know, happy to go into specific kind of tactics and details, but that was, uh, that was in 2015. So. Mm -hmm. Pro will not go very deep into the tactics itself and your process, but maybe we'll come back to that later. But for now, I was curious about this thing that I hear a lot myself and it's the momentum that you need to get for the deal. It's something that confuses a lot of people. It confused me back in the days. Can you explain what does that mean to get the momentum while you're fundraising and what, what does it even mean? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I say this a couple times a week, at least to our, our customers, you know, <laughs> fundraising is driven. There's a direct correlation between your success and probability of raising capital and the momentum you're able to get for your deal. And what it means is, you know, deals either it's sort of binary deals either heat up and get momentum or they get stale. Right. And sort of, sort of this, when you go out to fundraise, you have like a, a time, a window of time, and it's your job really as a CEO to either get momentum going for your deal. And if you don't, the deal is going to get stale and everyone's going to pass and you're, you're not going to walk away with a check. What momentum means is that you have multiple investors interested and interested can mean different things as we progress along the fundraising spectrum. In the early days, it means you're getting a lot of meetings, right? You've, I always tell founders like every, every investor you meet is going to ask you, so how's, how's your round coming together? And that's their way of probing, does this deal have momentum or not? And you want to be able to answer that in the early days by saying, it's coming together pretty, pretty good. You know, we've got, um, 12 meetings set up this week. I've got 14 pitch meetings next week. Um, we're running a pretty efficient process. We've got about 100 investors in our funnel using Foundersuite, of course. And, you know, that's a signal <laughs> sure. to investors that, okay, other people are interested. They're taking meetings with this, this entrepreneur. I should pay attention. And then, you know, as you kind of progress, those meetings as signals of momentum change to things like, you know, we're in due diligence with, with eight investors uh expecting term sheets from three of them by the end of the week right the signals of what momentum means kind of change and evolve as you go along you know obviously later on it's term sheets and actual you know uh negotiations but um that's what momentum means it means people are pursuing in the ultimate de definition it means investors are pursuing you right it flips around where investors are actually like chasing your deal <laughs> for yeah right 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 that's true so Another question, after I explain what momentum is uh, to the people who asked me that question, the next question immediately is, how do I get this momentum? So how do I get this, you know, 12, 40 meetings per week? Yeah. So, you know, another thing you'll hear me say frequently to entrepreneurs is you have to think of it like a sales process. You Fundraising is a sales process and you think of it like a funnel. Um, 
it's a funnel where it's really a numbers game in many cases, not every case, but in many cases it's a numbers game where you need a healthy, you know, initial target list, right? Because if you have say, say it's like a funnel, right? You have maybe a hundred prospects, top of the funnel, maybe 80 of those lead to a pitch meeting or call, maybe, you know, 60, 50 of those lead to like a second meeting and, you know, so on and so forth. So um, how do you get it? Step one is you build a really good target list of investors and you spend the time researching the investors, uh, identifying and kind of creating a short list of people and firms that invest in your type um, and that are actively investing, right? And that takes time to research that. And then, you know, step two is getting those introductions to those investors all in a fairly condensed time frame. Compressing the time frame around a fundraising helps create uh, momentum. It's almost like the analogy of, uh, you know, a combustion motor. You're compressing the air and gasoline mixture, and that helps create, you know, explosive energy. I don't know if that metaphor made sense, but nope. <laughs> yeah. Zero sense. <laughs> I did not get that, <laughs> but it's okay. It's all right. So, uh, so how do you actually identify if the investor is actively investing? So specifically now during this pandemic, a lot of investors say like business as usual, you know, we're still active and blah, blah, blah. But in fact, most of those people do not do business as usual and they're heavily focused on their portfolio companies instead of uh, infusing more capital into new investments. How yeah. should you, how can you identify who is actually doing active investing and who is not? It's a, there's no easy way to do that. I mean, you're exactly right. Almost every investor is saying they're doing new deals or looking at new deals. Of course, they're going to say that because if they said they're not, then that like puts them out of business, at least temporarily, right? That kind of shuts right. the doors of their business if they say they're not doing deals. So obviously looking at actions versus words. I mean, if, if, um, if you're reading, you know, I always talk about there's half a dozen email um, services you can subscribe to, like uh, Strictly VC and PE Hub and some of these newsletters that you can get for free. If you're seeing that this investor is doing deals, that's a good sign they're doing deals, right? Because they've announced a new deal. Um, you know, other than that, it's kind of hard to really identify who's active and who's not. And so I, I don't. I don't think you need to overthink it. You might be um, reaching out to investors and and maybe they'll take a meeting. Like it doesn't really hurt to reach out to them and start talking to them and actually ask that question once you've had a chance to connect and maybe give your pitch over Zoom. Like, hey, you know, just want to kind of kind of touch base with you. Like, are you actively investing? Um, you know, what's the timeline for a deal like ours? Like actually having a couple probing questions at the end of your initial pitch meeting, I think is the best way. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And can you repeat those two publications that you mentioned, PE? Uh, yeah, there's a bunch. There's one that I like is called Strictly VC. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another called Venture Wire. Let's see, I think Venture Pulse, actually Venture Pulse is another good one. I read that pretty regularly. PE Hub is going to be a little bit more later stage stuff, private equity. Um, and um, Dan Primack has a, a journal. I think he was uh, 
I don't remember either editor with Fortune or Forbes, but he's got one, Dan Primack. Nice. Strictly VC, that's the one I remember. So we'll keep it at Strictly VC and <laughs> check it out. Mm -hmm. uh, but another question that I want to ask you is the research and the investors. So you have to spend some time doing your homework, you know, checking out what the investor has invested in to make sure there is a good fit. You have to check, maybe they have actually participated on some podcasts and listening to those things. So what your what's your recommendation on the average time that you should spend per investor? So is it like 20 minutes that you should spend researching the investor if you think there's a fit, or is it like an hour? What's that timeline? The This is sort of an unscientific study, but it's just from my own experience. The average time is roughly 20 to 30 minutes of research. So if you, for example, ran a search in Founder Suite or Crunchbase or PitchBook or some service and identified, you know, 20 investors, for example, that uh, are in doing deals in your space, you know, it takes around 20 to 30 minutes to go in, look at, uh, click through their LinkedIn profile, kind of read up on them, click through their, their website if they're a venture fund, look at their portfolio companies, um, and, and just be reading about the firm, right? And kind of understand, like, usually the website will give some of those clues. Like they say, we invest in Pacific Northwest, uh, early stage medical devices companies, right? They're usually pretty specific in like what they're seeking and then looking at their portfolio companies as well. And so that whole process, you know, 20 to 30 minutes to kind of qualify each investor. But if they look good, then you add them to your target list. And so you can kind of do that math. If you're looking to build a list of 200 investors, right? I mean, that's roughly a hundred hours of research that needs to go in and people are sometimes shocked by that and they're not really like oh i thought i just ran through a few you know clicks on yep. crunch base yep. and i'm ready to go raise money and like eh, not really the more time you spend researching and qualifying and identifying a really highly focused list the more momentum you're gonna get when you actually start talking to these people right there's another direct co correlation between those two right 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 that's that's a good advice uh I mean, it's really hard to force yourself to really spend so much time on one investor because like, you know, that there is a high chance that they're going to say, no, they're probably not going to even see your email. They're not going to respond to your email and it hurts, but you still have to do that. So now I would actually add one more part to that too. Sure. There are two advantages though. One is if you spend the time doing that research, you're going to eliminate firms or individuals that don't do your type of deal, right? Whether it's not your industry, your stage, whatever the reason is. And removing those from your target list is good. That way you're not spending time chasing these unqualified you know, investors, right? You can waste a ton of time doing that. And then the other thing is you do that research, when you actually start messaging or get an introduction or however you reach out to these investors, you can now kind of very customize and personalize that discussion with them, right? You can say, well, I've been reading your blog. You've got some really good stuff. Yeah. I, I see you invested in these three companies. Those are right in our sweet spot. You know what I mean? So you can customize your, your outreach, which really goes a long way. Cause again, you're selling, you're essentially doing sales. And you know, think about when you've got a cold email that's clearly like been personalized and customized versus one that's just a generic one. Yeah. It's a big difference. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And that 
it's really worth the time. So in the introduction to this episode, I mentioned that we're going to talk about the different tactics that you should use to close your round. Can you name some of those tactics? Yeah, so, you know, again, let's assume you've been doing what we've already talked about and you've been getting momentum going. Um, if you have momentum for your deal and it's one of these sort of you you'll know it you'll you'll know it when you see it <laughs> you'll feel it you know it's there's not always like a quantitative way to say we've got momentum or not you sort of know it because investors are responding to you quickly um they're even like calling you and kind of you know chasing you like i mentioned right when you've got momentum going then you have a lot of the leverage and power to to really try and close the deal so how do you do that one thing is you know actually starting to put some dates around things like all right guys we um you know we're in diligence with 10 firms expecting four term sheets uh by the end of the week we're looking to close this round by um you know august 4th that's kind of a weird time because a lot of vcs go on vacation in august. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, for example we're looking to close this round by august 4th we're looking to you know finalize um get through all due diligence responses by July 15th, um, so on and so forth. And, you know, and final finalize like any term sheets and offers uh, negotiations by whatever, July 26th with the wires to come August 4th. And so you kind of lay, and this is just a rough example, but you lay out a timeline of what investors need to meet. And if they're not kind of marching to your, your drumbeat, right, that's probably a good signal they're not super interested. Um, <laughs> If if investors are really fired up about what you're doing, they'll actually try and move up that timeline and jump in kind of ahead of the queue, right? I mean, um, I've seen that happen too. Like they'll drive up on a weekend to, <laughs> you know, meet with you and try and uh, kind of scoop the deal, so to speak. Um, but that's one tactic to closing. If you're talking to angels, um, uh, uh, Another tactic that's maybe specific to angels uh, is you collect conditional commitments from everyone. Like everyone you're talking to, let's say you're talking to 50 angels, you talk to everyone and you say, you know, how much, uh, what kind of check would you write? What size check would you write? What kind of conditions would you need to see in place? And they say, oh, I, I, I'd be in for 50, 50 grand and I'd like to see a lead investor or whatever their conditions are. You collect all these conditional commitments until you're 20 to 30% oversubscribed. So if you're raising a million dollar round, you kind of collect all these soft commitments until you're at 1.3 million, right? And then you go back to everyone and say, you know, this is this has been interesting. We're actually oversubscribed. Um, I'm going to try and make room for you in this deal, but here's the timeline. Here's how it's going to work, right? So you, again, kind of take control over the process. That's actually really good advice. So after giving this good advice, I want you to give some even better advice. And that's better advice going to be about what not to do. So what to do. So you've seen a lot of fundraising campaigns. What do you think are the major mistakes that founders do while they're fundraising? In some ways, it's the opposite of what I just described, right? People will spray and pray i get these emails all the time that's it's a cold email clearly done using mailchimp or whatever uh, where it's like 
guess what? We're this this biosensor something or other is raising around and you know click here to oh boy and it's just like you don't even read the first line. I mean, if it's got a really clever subject line, maybe I'll read like the first paragraph, but those just get instantly deleted, right? So spray and pray, unfocused kind of email blasts really don't work. I'm always trying to tell our customers on FounderSuite to, to not do that because for better or for worse, we do make it easy to like build a list of target investors and then there's some email, like you can send out a pitch deck to those. I have to try and throttle people back to don't do that, <laughs> you know, try and, get, try and get an intro for that first one. I guess that's another thing, right? Like not taking the time to try and get an intro if you can, um, uh, you know, doing the research on LinkedIn to see if you have a mutual connection. If you don't, maybe reaching out to a portfolio company founder or two and trying to kind of network your way into an introduction. Mm -hmm. um, that will go a long way. So I guess the mistake would be doing a lot of cold email, relying on a lot of cold email. Another mistake is kind of, again, relating to that momentum where founders, I hear this excuse all the time, like, I'm already so busy with the business, uh, I don't have time for fundraising. And so they, you know, spend two hours a week on it. And oh, yeah it never gets momentum going. They kind of part-time it and it gets stale, right? If right. Uh, Another best practice is if you can, this is almost impossible, but if, if you can give some of your duties to a co-founder, I've even seen startups like hire a part-time COO to like take over all the operational stuff that you currently have so that you can focus on fundraising, you know, almost full-time that goes a long way. So I guess the mistake there is like part-timing it, letting the deal drag on, get stale, never get momentum. Um, you know, I guess one one or two more, um, being obsessed about, listen, you, fundraising is like a marriage. You've probably heard this. You're gonna be kind yep. of partnered up with these investors for many years. If you're a difficult to, person to work with in the dating phase, which is, the fundraising stuff, like you're going to be a difficult person in the marriage phase. So, you know, obviously you want to get good terms and negotiate a good deal and stuff like that. But like, you're also interacting with people that you're going to be involved with for, for many years. So kind of, I guess the mistake is coming in, you know, acting like a, a tough guy or something and uh, that you're going to be the shark that negotiates the best deal. No, it's really more of a partnership. So you, you know, I wouldn't take that approach. I could probably go on and on, but yeah. <laughs> All right. We're coming up to the conclusion of today's episode, and it's going to be the last question for, for this episode, which is a call to action. What's that one thing that you want the listeners to do as soon as the episode is over? Yeah, okay. So we didn't talk about this so much. One thing that I tell founders to do a lot, and it's a great like funding hack, um, and that is to basically start fundraising before you're fundraising. And what that means is do the research now. Let's say you, you want to raise money in October or this fall, right? Do the research now, building that list of, say, 200 really good prospects, and then reach out to each of those in a one-by-one -one email, personalized email, like, hey, um, 
Constantine, I see you, you know, invest in this space. You're in the fashion uh, e-commerce space. Um, I've got a startup. I'm building the space. We're not raising money right now. We we hope to be, you know, in Q4 of this year. Um, but I'd love to add you. We do a company update once a month. Um, it's one page, very lightweight. I'd love to add you to my distribution list and give you just a sneak peek of what we're working on. And, you know, many investors, because they're driven by fear of missing out, mm -hmm. sure, no problem. And so you start to build this distribution list of a couple hundred investors, and then you send a regular monthly update talking about your, your company's progress, key wins. If you have some metrics, include those so they can see how your metrics are kind of shape, taking shape over time. And, and also just talking about what you're going to be executing on the next month. And then the next month they see that you achieved certain goals. And so you're, you're initiating and nurturing these relationships and building a relationship basically several months in advance of, you know, seven months in advance of October or whatever, when you say, here's our deck, can we set up a pitch call? So they've got this whole seven months of, 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 progress that they've watched unfold before the fundraise before you switch into fundraising mode it's a great hack it takes advanced planning it takes work but if you do that your fundraising can go really 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 fast like you can condense your actual fundraising time frame from six to eight months to to two months if you do that upfront work so. yeah but that upfront works really requires a lot a lot of time so don't think that you can do actually like two months it's still going to be a long process, so be ready for this. And we're wait, wait, let me respond to that really quick. Go for it. The, the research part, the, the time it takes to do the research, you're going to have to do either way. Whether you do it now yeah. or six months from now, you have to do that. And the company update part, actually, that's 15, 20 minutes once a month. That's not a big deal. So it's like you're kind of time shifting that, that research, whether you do it now or later. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, shifting it sooner can really have pay pay dividends for you. That is true, and that's great advice. So start building that you know sales funnel basically for your fundraising process and keep those investors updated. So we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Nathan, for coming up and for sharing your knowledge in this field. It was a great episode, great of specific, very on point advice. So thanks a lot for that. And by the way, people, we're going to record the second interview with Nathan right now, and I'll publish it right now, right after this episode. It's going to be educational episodes, so we'll talk about Founder Suit and how you can use it. So once you're done listening to this, my call to action is go and listen to the next one. Great.